Uh, if you'll uh, find in your Bible Psalm 30, it uh, will be toward the center of, of your Bibles, uh, Psalm 30. I'll give you a moment to find it, and then we'll stand together for the reading of, of God's Word. It's page 461 in the black Bibles in front of you. Let's stand together then as God's word is read. Would you hear then God's word from Psalm 30? A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, great gifts elicit unadulterated thanksgiving. Uh, if, if you've ever received a gift big enough, great enough, wonderful enough, there's something very humbling about it, um, right? It, even a small gift, uh, in our culture, we don't really know how to receive a compliment, right? Uh, someone compliments you, and it's hard just to say, thank you. <laughs> you want to sort of return the compliment or divert it to... Yeah, but I kind of burn the soup. Or um, it's hard for us to just receive a gift and thank for it. Uh, but when there's something big enough and and, and that hits you enough, uh, there's something very leveling about it that you realize all I can really do is say thanks. There's no payback. Uh, there's no um, transactional uh, thing here. Surely, if I asked you, and maybe we'll hear today at the Thanksgiving meal some examples of this. Um, in, in my own life, I could pick on my wife, and uh, if I think of past ministry, you know, th- those long weekends when I was away, and she was with the kids, and I was with teenagers out on the slopes of Mount Bachelor, and for, you know, four days, she's holding down the fort at home. Uh, when I come home, I, I know that it, certainly I'll do more dishes that week, but there's no paying back. <laughs> there's no uh, uh, debt that I'm going to fulfill. It's just to say thank you. Uh, to know that that ministry wasn't possible unless she uh, did that. And certainly a a year and a half here of pastoral ministry that continues to to ring true. 
Well, God has given us an unimaginable gift in himself, who he is, revealing himself to us, and in what he's done, especially through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's no sense that we would ever pay him back. And yet it does elicit from us thanksgiving, praise, really a life, an eternity of this, which is why the point of the sermon is very simply this morning, give thanks to God forever. Give thanks to God forever. We're going to reflect on uh, each stanza, five uh, different uh, aspects of what is, who is God, what has he done, and therefore give thanks to God forever. So number one, give thanks to God for his uplifting love. For his uplifting love. We'll look at verses one through three. And uh, we mean uplifting literally, not in the sort of hallmark like, oh, it's so uplifting. Not to, I mean, some of the, anyway. Uh, but no, uplifting, like literally. Uh, the Hebrew word here is like drawing uh, water from a well. Uh, he says that God has lifted him up from the pit. But look again at verses uh, one through three then. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. There's that lifting up. And have not let my foes rejoice over me. And then if you look at verse 3, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Uh, This is a psalm of David, the king. And uh, it says it's for the dedication of the temple. You might remember that David didn't get to see the temple built Um, And so commentators sort of debate. We won't get into it here. Uh, I think the most likely is that David wrote this during his life, and he meant it for uh, the construction of the temple, just as he prepared wood and materials that he handed off to his son Solomon. So here, he was uh, providing a song of praise, of thanksgiving for when the temple was built. Either way, this was a corporate thanksgiving. Uh, Any psalm, even if it uses the word I, was eventually meant for corporate setting. And so it's fitting that we would give thanks together. Uh, it's a hymn of thanksgiving, which is a, you'll notice as you read through the Psalter, Psalm 18, 32, 107, 124, there's others. They fit sort of this pattern of, of thanksgiving, of saying something about who God is, what he's done, and then the word for or because or therefore I give thanks or therefore people of God, uh, let me command you to give thanks. Uh, For those of you who keep some form of prayer journal, you're probably writing psalms of thanksgiving without knowing it, that you're reflecting on who God is, what he's done, and then you're praising him for it. Uh, That's really, at the end of the day, you could see that pattern here in Psalm 30. And so we'll look at all those reasons as we go through. First, he says, uh, for uh, you have drawn me up. As we said, this is literally like being drawn out of a well, like the water being drawn out of a well. Uh, or he says, you've, you've brought me back from, from Sheol, uh, which was the Old Testament word for the place of the dead. Um, and in the Old Testament especially, it, 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 there wasn't yet a full realization of, of what we have now in the New Testament of uh, certainly we die, but then we're with Christ, and one day he comes back, the new heavens and the new earth. The emphasis was more on when someone goes to the place of the dead, it's a place of silence. Uh, you'll see in um, verse 9, he says, what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? In other words, God, if I die, my praise uh, ends, as it were, because I'm going to the place of the dead. That's what Sheol here is emphasizing. But David has been drawn up from 
this place of the dead. It seems that on some level, and it says, my foes don't rejoice over me. We don't know if David has particular things in mind. If, if you study the life of David, you could say, well, where do you start when it comes to foes that were against David and chasing him? And most of his kingdom, uh, most of his kingship, he was on the run or had enemies around him. So whether he had something in mind or just in general, God has delivered him. Uh, he has uh, drawn him up um, from the pit. Uh, he has rescued David. He has rescued David. This also gets emphasized in verses 8 through 10. And you'll see on your outline, uh, we won't spend a whole section just on that, but we could say uh, for his rescuing love, uh, number 4 in verses 8 through 10, it's very similar. Uh, He even in the present tense says, "To, To you, Lord, I cry. I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? Hear, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So David reflects back and says, God, you have rescued me. Therefore, I give thanks to you. Therefore, I praise you. Verse 2 emphasizes that God has healed him in some way. Uh, He says, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. You have healed me. You've restored me. Certainly, if if you've ever experienced, uh, I know even just since I've been at this church, there's been people who have been Um, in dire straits, whether in 2020 or beyond, uh, some even going to the hospital for a time. Uh, When you come through something like that, uh, as a Christian, the only proper response is thanksgiving to God. You you realize, uh, unless God intervened, um, I was in trouble. I was at death's door. And so you start to see that for the Christian, thankfulness isn't sort of a nebulous idea. I think if you you know, took a microphone out on the streets and asked people in our culture, even this week, this Thanksgiving week, and said, should we be thankful? Most people would say yes, um, and that's good. That's God's common grace working in people's lives, restraining sin. Um, or, or you could even look at studies on a psychological level, looking at the benefits of what happens when someone it looks back and is thankful, um, you know, Charlie Brown gets it. He says, what if today we were grateful for everything? Or uh, another uh, author says, be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. Or someone else says, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. There's partial truths in all of that, but we have a, a broader view that it's not just thankfulness as a concept, Although on some human level, even that helps us. It's thankful for something, uh, who God is, what he's done, and thankful to somebody. We're certainly thankful for the people in our lives, but ultimately to God. We, we give thanks to God himself. And so that uh, uh, the thankfulness goes back to the ultimate giver of that gift. That's what we mean by thanksgiving. And so the proper response, as David shows us here, is praise and thanksgiving. A praise and thanksgiving. And, and certainly reflect on your own life, whether you share it later or not today. Uh, where has God rescued you? Perhaps literally. Where has God brought you from the brink of death? Or how has God been with you as you walk now through the shadow of the valley of death? David elsewhere says, even there I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And every Christian can say, we have been brought from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light. 
uh, every Christian uh, could be thankful for what God has done in their life. And so give thanks to God for his uplifting love. Number two, for his steadfast love. For his steadfast love, verses four and five. Here, David starts to command the people hearing this and singing it, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Right? It, it makes sense that as David reflects on what God has done and who he is, it, it just spills out. He wants others to do the same. And, and that's the natural response, right? You go see a movie that it just blows your mind, and it, your experience of that is not complete until you go to someone and say, no, no, I will buy you a ticket to this movie, and then I will sit with you and watch you watch this movie. Um, it, it, your joy isn't complete until you bring someone there, and you have to promise not to say the lines as you're watching the movie, for them to enjoy it. Uh, but but the, the joy is complete as you invite someone else in. This is amazing. You need to see how amazing this is. And David does the same thing here. Uh, look to this God, and the only proper response is to give thanks. Now, it's interesting, in, in Hebrew, technically, there's actually not a direct one-for-one -one word that means give thanks. Uh, languages have different... Uh, you know, English has one word for love, which is very convenient when you're learning English. Uh, Hebrew here doesn't have a direct word for give thanks. It's sort of a broader term uh, that could be translated, uh, as it is later in the psalm, uh, to praise, uh, even to confess, not in the sense of confessing sin, but confessing who God is, professing who he is, stating who he is. In other words, for the Hebrew mind, thanksgiving was a subset of worship. Um, to give praise to God, to, to thank Him. It, it, in other words, it's not just a, hey, thanks, God. Um, it's a thanksgiving to God. It's a, it's a pouring out of praise to Him for who He is and for what He has done. So the one commentator says that this word, give thanks in English, is the key word of this psalm. And we see it here in verse 4, uh, give, give thanks to His holy name. We see it in verse 9. Will the dust praise you? That's the same word. We see it in verse 12. The psalm ends, I will give thanks to you forever. This is what we're called to do by David here. And here specifically, it's for his steadfast love. For his steadfast love. His anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. We start to get a, a thanksgiving for who God is by his very nature, his character, his being. Um, certainly what he's done, but just who God is elicits our thanksgiving and praise. That wording in verse 5 reminds us of Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Right? This is who God is. When God wants to reveal who he is, his steadfast love, his covenant love, his promised love to his people. It's part of who he is. It, he doesn't have steadfast love. He is steadfast love. And yet, Exodus 34 goes on. Uh, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers and the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
So that God is steadfast love, especially to his people, but God is justice and is wrath against sin. If he is this holy God, this God who is set apart, then for those who reject him, wrath rightly comes upon them. And that's why the gospel is, is such a precious gift to us, because this is who God is. Uh, that he, uh, when sin is before him, unless there is repentance and faith in Christ, that sin does have to be dealt with. And just as we know on a human level, if someone commits heinous sin, multiple murders, etc., we would cry out if the judge just sort of shrugged it off and said, it's okay. It's okay. They're kind of remorseful. They could just go free. We'd say, no, justice needs to be had here. How much more before a holy God? Before a holy God. That's why 1 John 4.10 says this. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a fancy word, propitiation. Uh, It means to regain, in this case, the favor of God. That God would go from having a Uh, disposition toward us as his enemies, as those who hate him, as those who reject him and therefore receive wrath, to a loving father, to the Lord, the Lord, gracious, merciful, full of steadfast love. And this only happens through the work of Jesus Christ. As he paid the penalty on the cross for our sin, if we believe in him, as he lived the perfect life that we should have lived, he propitiates by his blood. He, he brings God then into a, a state of fatherly disposition toward his people. So that for the people of God who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, you will never experience God's wrath. We'll say in a moment you'll experience his fatherly discipline, their difficulties come, but you will never experience his wrath. Christ drank his wrath down to the very dregs for you. His disposition toward you, if you have faith in Christ, is one of a loving father. Not just a father who pays the bills and then comes through the door and and retreats to his office, uh, but a father who drops the bags at the door and and, and gets down on the floor uh, to play with the kids and, and hear how their day. This is the kind of fatherly disposition steadfast love that those who belong to Jesus. So friend, I I pray if you've come today that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. Only through Christ uh, can God be not your enemy, or really you an enemy of his, but that he would be a father to you through Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our third point. We give thanks to God for his fatherly love. uh, For his fatherly love. We see this in verses 6 and 7. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. It's interesting here, we we see God's fatherly correction for David, right? We see his fatherly correction for David. David was in his prosperity... Uh, perhaps had defeated these enemies and was getting ready to build the temple. We, we don't know exactly the situation, but David admits here, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Um, 
I shall never be moved. Uh, or one translation, nothing can stop me now. <laughs> it's sort of that Deuteronomy passage we looked at where God warns the people, when you go in the land, when you have success, when you've, when you've taken it, don't say, my hands have done this. I've brought this prosperity. It's good that they struggle with that and we don't. So we could just move on. Um, no, I mean, David is exemplifying for us how easy it is. Even when we've been blessed by God, he, he realizes, no, it was actually God's favor that made my mountain stand strong. But I was sort of flipping the words of, I think it's Psalm uh, 18, maybe 16, that one commentator points out, you know, I shall not be shaken, but that's in the Lord. But he was applying it to himself, you know, I shall not be shaken. I have this covered. And God graciously moves David from, I will never be moved, that word in verse 6, all the way to the end, uh, I will give thanks to you forever. And how does he move him from the one, the pride, to the life of thanksgiving? It's verse 7, God hid his face and David was dismayed. This is that fatherly correction uh, that comes, that Hebrews reminds us of, right? Have Hebrews 12 says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We're going to look at this more tonight, and I urge you to come as we ask the question, what is adoption? And the Confession of Faith, chapter 12 lists at least 10 things that adoption brings to us once we become children of God. It says we have his name put upon us. We receive the spirit of adoption. We have access to the throne of grace with boldness. We are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. We are pitied, protected, provided for, and here, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Isn't that a wonderful summary? Just bringing all those scriptures together. God disciplines those whom he loves. Again, we don't experience God's wrath, strictly speaking, directly, because Christ has experienced it for us, but we do experience his fatherly discipline because he loves us. And we know, right, we know that if we look back, the times in our life when we are changed the most dramatically, when we really come to trust in the Lord, just like David, is when God brings those difficulties to open our eyes, to, to pry our hands off of the things that we are making idols. But child of God, know that this is discipline, not wrath. This is correction, not anger. This is training, not contempt. Uh, this is loving chastisement, not his displeasure. This is sanctification, not forsaking. And this is drawing you up, not casting you out. This is a fatherly love and discipline. And maybe you need to remember that today because maybe it's felt like God's displeasure with you. Maybe it's felt like, oh, I need to search for that one sin that I did two years ago that God's punishing me for. No, Christ died on the cross for whatever that sin was and, and probably more recent ones. 
and has brought you into a relationship where God has a fatherly disposition, that he loves you so much that he will bring difficulties in your life to open your eyes, to pry your hands off idols, to, to turn yourself to him. And we give thanks to him for that. So we give thanks even in the difficulties. Give thanks to God for his fatherly love. Number four, in one sense, we, we cheated and already covered for his rescuing love, verses 8 through 10. But I, I will just note that, notice that even as he's giving thanks for past tense things, in the present tense, he's still pleading for mercy and help. God, be my rescuer even now. In other words, you don't have to feel guilty if you're both thankful and desperate before God. God, thank you for what you've done. I need you right now. Those are not mutually exclusive so thank God for his rescuing love. And lastly, thank God for his restoring love. His restoring love. Look at verses 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I'll give thanks to you forever. Uh, one commentator uh, 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 named Dr. Frutado puts it this way, that this is the gospel of reversals that we see in this psalm. Uh, the gospel of, of reversals. It says the great reversal experienced by David was only possible because of an even greater reversal that David's greater son would experience one day. As Christ was treated with contempt, as Christ was led to the cross to die, and yet that one early Sunday morning when he raised Jesus from the dead, there was this great reversal from death to life. And all who have faith in Jesus come with Jesus as it were. We go wherever he goes, united with him. So we go from death to life and glory one day. And so, says Futado, so our life like David's must be lived with a focus on the praise of God, the great reverser. The great reverser. We see uh, many reversals here uh, in Psalm 30. If you looked back from anger uh, to favor, from weeping to joy, from night to day, from mourning uh, to dancing, from lament to gladness, from silence to song, from death to life, and from pride to thanksgiving. What about you and your life? recently or your whole life? Where has God reversed? Where has he taken something and flipped it on its head? What has God brought you through? You know, it's often said rightly, right in the midst of suffering, we tell people, this too shall pass. And if couched correctly, it's helpful. One way or another, this life or the life to come, this too shall pass on the deepest sense. Look back, what too has passed? What do you look back on that in the moment felt like would never end? but God has brought you through it. Have you noted that? Have you given him thanks for that? Have you allowed that to pour into the present and say, if he delivered me from that, surely he'll deliver me from what I'm facing right now? How will you give thanks to the great reverser of the gospel? Well, brothers and sisters, we've seen that we're called to give thanks to God forever. And, and, and as we continue in our service, it's, it's so fitting that we return to the Lord's Supper. Uh, you might be familiar with uh, one term that is sometimes used of the Lord's Supper is the Eucharist. And this comes from the Greek uh, meaning thanksgiving or 
uh, to be grateful or to offer graciously. So that in the Lord's Supper, we remember who God is. We remember what he has done, especially through his son for us. Uh, So there's a remembrance. There's a communion with Christ, as we'll see. There's a thanksgiving. This is a thanksgiving meal for the people of God as we think about who God is and what he has done. And so as we continue in our service, we will give thanks to him even through this meal. Uh, and, and then we'll continue in worship together. Let me pray to us uh, for that, to that end. Lord, we do thank you for who you are, that you are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And that you are a father who loves your people through Jesus Christ, loving us so much that you would bring even discipline into our lives, even dark providence in our lives, to shape us into the image of your Son. I pray now that you would shape us in his image, even as we sing and worship, even as we turn to the Lord's Supper. I pray that you would make us more and more a people uh, who give you praise and thanks in all of life. And I pray this in Jesus' name.